you don't want your insurance to lapse ever because the insurance that your lender is going to force place on you is so expensive. You are listening to the Urban Connect podcast. My name is Jennifer Oshambo, and I am the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors. The mission of this podcast is to bring clarity and ease to the often complicated and uncharted waters of buying and selling real estate. If you are a buyer, seller, or a homeowner and want to enhance your awareness of market and transactional realities, you are in the right place. Hello, everyone. This is Jennifer, and I have a special guest. Shelby Lencioni began her career with Liberty Mutual in 2012. She works alongside her team as a full-time insurance agent, understanding the incredible opportunity she has to assist her clients with one of their most important financial purchases. She cannot imagine doing anything else. She's a Central Texas native. She graduated from honors with Texas State University with a bachelor's degree in marketing with professional sales concentration. As I mentioned before, Her true passion is helping people. I'm excited to have Shelby Lencioni with Liberty Mutual here to answer so many questions about homeowners insurance, flood insurance, wind insurance, and all of the above. Welcome, Shelby. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. I feel like there are so many things to unpack. I mean, you and I both know Insurance is complicated. It is um, a big part of a real estate transaction. I mean, it protects their their the big asset that they're buying. But um, there's so many misunderstoods in the insurance um, industry uh, for a consumer that doesn't understand it like yourself. So that's why you're here today. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to be here and kind of talk about all those, you know, nuances and the differences and, you know, things that people can get hung up on or maybe not understand. Um, Insurance is kind of its own language. It's not super sexy or exciting, but, um, you know, it's something that we have to know. Like you said, you're, you know, kind of protecting one of your largest financial assets, one of your largest purchases, um, and you want to make sure that you've got it protect, uh, you know, protected correctly and covered correctly. Um, So super happy to kind of speak to all of those things that can really help a buyer during that transaction and during that period, um, you know, to help make sense of something that may seem really overwhelming and kind of, uh, you know, scary during that period of time. Well, I'm excited. Okay, so let's start with regular property insurance. And we're going to start from a perspective of a real estate transaction because, you know, this is what this podcast is about. This podcast is about the average consumer, buyer, seller, homeowner, understanding our complicated industry. And, you know, with that comes understanding property insurance too, a little bit more. When a buyer or a buyer is navigating their journey of, of buying a house, talk to me about things that they could do during their option period that would help them make some really educated um, decisions along the way or negotiations along the way with the seller. Yeah. So one of the things I always, always, always recommend to people, uh, especially going into option or even even potentially before even making an offer on the house, uh, is called a clue report. So a clue report, it's amazing because it's completely free. Um, there's absolutely no cost to it. And it's super quick and easy for me to run. Um, and what it does is it shows the buyer uh, any prior claims made on the home in the last five years. So really all I need in order to do that is an address. And it will tell them, um, let's just say, for example, 
well, if there's a hail claim on the home or if there's a water backup claim on the house or a freeze claim, uh, and you guys can really use that to your advantage. It's a huge value to you guys and a tool to have in your back pocket. So whenever you're going to make an offer on the house or again, even during option period, and you can say, okay, look, there was a $15,000 hail payout uh, last year, you go and look at the house and it's completely obvious that the roof hasn't been updated, then you really have that huge negotiating power uh, for your realtor to use as a tool to negotiate, um, you know, seller credit or potentially them even just putting on a new roof on the home. Um, or even again, like if there's a water claim in the house, making sure that your inspector knows that there was water damage in the house and they can really, uh, you know, kind of pay better attention to maybe, you know, possible, you know, raises in the floors or anything that may draw attention, uh, you know, to that. So you can really have a very thorough um, inspector. Um, and then again, just kind of using that as a negotiation power um, when going back to the sellers and saying, hey, look, I saw that this happened. I want to make sure that everything was corrected to the best of its ability before I purchase this home. So again, completely free and such a huge, huge value um, to you guys to have that information prior to making an offer or even during options. So you have that, um, you know, the more you know in the house, you know, the better. So you mentioned five years back. So the information they're getting is those claims that happened. They don't know if the work was done. They just know there was a payout. Right. Yeah. And let's be honest too, right? Not all sellers are completely forthcoming when they're even saying, you know, something that's happened to the house. So um, I would say, you know, again, just making sure one, that the repairs were completed. So like, I can see that again, if a hail claim happened, I can see that a hail claim happened. I can see a payout happened, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they had to fix their roof. I mean, if they took the money and they didn't, you know, decided not to update it. um, I've seen that happen several times, especially recently. Um, You know, Texas is very susceptible to to wind and hail damage. Um, And I, you know, I've seen it more times than not where, you know, there's a a major payout um, and nothing has been taken care of. And so again, it's just a huge advantage to you guys to at least have that information, um, you know, whether or not they have or haven't fixed it just to know what's potentially on there. So that's good information. Like you said, not every seller is forthcoming. You know, in Texas, we have, we use a sell, uh, seller's disclosure and the seller is only obligated to disclose what currently is wrong today, right? So maybe they got a payout, maybe they got it fixed a little bit differently, pockets of money, whatever the case. Um, but, you know, it's good information to have. Like you said, you mentioned the inspector um, for negotiation purposes. Okay, let's talk about shopping for insurance because, you know, I've had clients in the past where they shop. It's literally like seconds before the, the signing the transaction and their lender is like snapping their finger saying, if I don't get this, you're not closing, you're not getting your keys today. And then I have clients that are shopping before they even have a house. So when is the best time? When do you suggest someone start shopping for insurance? Yeah. So my personal opinion is that it's never too early to shop. Um, Like you mentioned, there's way too many transactions that happen where just everything is last minute and they're trying to get through to closing and then it's a rush and you're just basically at that point trying to just get a piece of paper that says you have insurance because you it was the last thing on your to-do list that you just didn't get taken care of. And I really don't recommend that because a lot of times lots of mistakes happen or you don't have the right coverage that you need. So in my opinion, the sooner the better. Um, And even to speak to that, 
Sometimes when you're shopping for insurance, it can tell you a lot about the house. So, you know, potentially, you know, some carriers have acreage restrictions. If, you know, if it's maybe more than five acres or there's a wood burning stove in the home that would potentially reject from some carriers or you personally plan on having, you know, farm animals at the house and up to a certain amount. So the more that you know about the home and the home insurance going into it, the better, um, just because you can kind of alleviate all of those like last minute, oh my gosh, I need insurance. I just need to get something in place. And then that's, again, where a lot of mistakes mistakes are made um, or there's not adequate coverage for your situation. And then that leads then to policies canceling after the fact the insurance company goes out and they see, oh, well, they've got 10 chickens on the property. This wasn't notated. We're now canceling the policy because we didn't know about it. Um, or there's a wood burning stove in the house and that wasn't notated. And now we're canceling. So it can really alleviate a lot of those post-closing rejections that people you know fall into. Or again, just you buy a house and you get the insurance set up and then you're just like, oh my gosh, a, a month later, you didn't realize you had really high deductibles because you didn't really look at what you were getting. Um, because again, your your lender was down your throat saying, hey, we need this today or closing's not happening. So um, again, in my opinion, do that during option. I mean, that's when you have time, right? Like you're getting inspections done. Um, you know, other things are kind of happening. Just do it early. And then that way it also gives your agent time to shop and like really evaluate the situation and get back to you with any questions that they may have. So in my opinion, do it during option um, or immediately after just so it gives you that period of time where, again, it's not that last minute thing that you're checking off the list and then you're you're left with, you know, bare bones coverage. Well, I always say that you don't want your insurance to lapse ever because the insurance that your lender is going to force place on you is so expensive. I mean, so, so you definitely want to shop early so you don't have any issues with, you know, lapse and coverage because that's expensive. I mean, People try to get the cheapest insurance with the most coverage, and the last thing you want is the bare bones coverage that's the most expensive. Oh, for sure, yeah. Know what the lender is going to force place, and and you know is going to be the worst policy on the market. It's no coverage, and it's super crazy expensive. So again, if you're one of those people that fall into that category of like, oh my gosh, I got a rejection like post closing because I didn't disclose something, or my insurance company didn't like something at the house once they went out and inspected it, um, and you don't get something set up by that you know rejection date or you know the cancellation date, then your lender is going to know about it. They get all the information and they're going to force place insurance. It's crazy expensive. It's bare bones coverage. Um, so just like I said, alleviating all of those pains up front, take care of the insurance, like is one of the very first things that you do. So let's talk about roofs because I, you know, this is a decade, almost two decades into the real estate for me. Uh, my stepfather was an insurance agent when I was younger. So I know the roof has a big play in coverage and pricing and a lot of that. Um, what happens with the roof? Let's say there's an older roof on the property, or maybe they're getting a new roof. Can you dive into that, how that's going to affect their coverage? Yeah. So a couple of things with the roof, um, you know, as it gets older, um, you know, it can definitely affect pricing, but even so most carriers, like if you think of Texas, um, especially most carriers in Texas, especially because we are so, so susceptible to wind and hail damage, uh, they've now added depreciation scales on a roof. That's typically 15 years or older. Some are a little sooner, some are a little later, but rule of thumb is generally if the roof is about 15 years or older, your insurance company is going to put a depreciation scale on it. So the older your roof is, um, the more of a depreciation scale. So let's just say at that point, your roof is 17 years old. Um, I'm just making numbers up, but let's say at that point, it's like a 70% depreciation. If something happens, you're only getting 30% of the value of that roof 
and you're still paying out your deductible. So it can definitely have an impact not only on coverage, but also on rates. Uh, The newer the roof, the more of a new roof credit you're going to get towards the insurance. So it's definitely going to help out as far as cost is concerned to have a newer roof. Um, Another thing to speak to is some people will ask, well, is there a difference between tile or metal versus asphalt shingle? And there definitely is. Um, Metal and tile roofs, because of the longevity and the life of the roofs, um, they're typically going to get a little bit more of a credit than an asphalt shingle as far as additional like preferred discounting. Um, But the one thing I will really mention on that, you have to be super careful if you have a tile or especially a metal roof. Most companies have also moved to put a cosmetic exclusion on metal or tile roofs. So this is really important for metal because let's say hail comes through, which it's not like if it's going to happen, it's more of like when it's going to happen here. Um, then, you know, hailstorm comes through, completely dings up the roof. Uh, it looks horrible, but there's no actual co- like structural changes to the roof to where it would actually cause like water to come into the home. Then they're not going to cover it. So if it looks terrible, but the structure of it is not, um, you know, it hasn't been compromised. It hasn't yeah. been compromised mm-hmm. in any way. Then, then it, they're not going to cover for it. So, just make sure if you have a metal roof that you're working with an insurance company that includes cosmetic coverage, because you don't want this beautiful, you know, five hundred thousand dollar plus home with a metal roof. A hailstorm comes through, completely damages it. It looks terrible, and now you have no coverage for it. Um, so, again, just really make sure that you're speaking to that when you're talking with your insurance agent and saying, "Hey, you know, I've got a metal roof. Do I have cosmetic coverage? If you don't, you're going to definitely want to, you know, switch to a." that includes that because um, you don't want an, an ugly roof after you spend all that money well, on it. And you talk about metal roofs. Uh, I've seen a lot who are r- rusted. So I guess if they're rusted as well, they're probably going to have some issues with performance issues. Oh, definitely. And like I said, cosmetic is just not covered with a handful. Like, like I would say the majority no longer cover for cosmetic coverage. Like there's only a handful of companies left that do cover for that. So again, just another thing to make sure it's like helps again, when you're shopping, I say never, you know, it's never too early to shop. These are the types of things that come up when you're shopping your rates and saying, hey, these are the unique situations of this home. You wouldn't think in most situations, oh, my house has a metal roof. Do I need to do anything special for it? I mean, it's definitely, again, like that's where your insurance agent comes in. That's where their expertise comes in and says, hey, here's the difference in pricing. But you may want to spend the extra $10 that it costs to have a company that is going to cover the cosmetic versus just saying, here's a a policy um, and not ever mentioning that to you. So sure. again, the sooner the better and just having more information than not. But um, again, the older the roof, you know, the less of a credit that you're going to get. So typically the insurance rates are going to be more expensive with an older roof versus, you know, again, a brand new one. So before we go uh, to our next topic, I want to talk about you know, just briefly a transaction that Shelby and I worked together on. It was a um, metal over shingles. And so it was a situation where the buyer said she couldn't get insurance coverage because the she was getting denied because the metal was overlaying the shingles. That's fairly common. We see that a lot in real estate. So, you know, Shelby was able to buy in coverage on that property. I mean, she was able to move it forward. She didn't because she wasn't working with the buyer, but, you know, Ask the right questions when you're shopping for insurance. And I want you, Shelby, to talk a little bit about, and maybe we'll dive into this a little bit later, but the difference between online, like in this situation, it was a situation where it was an online wrap three states over versus someone here in Texas that really understood 
And I think that comes into play when you're shopping for coverage, is it not? Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said, you can work with someone that's been doing this, even outside of just like an online quote. I mean, you can work with someone that's been doing it a week in a call center, or you can work with someone that's experienced and been doing it 10 years and knows the right questions. Like I said, it comes into play when you're saying never too early to shop. Once again, it's just one of those things that you want to mention, hey, just want to let you know that, you know, the the roof has been has metal over the shingle. And it's just something that you bring up because some carriers have issues with it, some don't. So again, you just want to make sure like you're not going to have those issues post-closing where now the insurance company goes out and inspects the house. They see the roof condition. They see that it was overlaid and then they're going to cancel it. So um, even you yourself, right? You're not an expert. If you go online and work up a quote, they're not going to specifically typically ask you like, does this, is this the exact roof situation that you have? Like you're no insurance expert. If you go and work up a quote online, you're going to run into issues where you're not knowing the coverage that you need or the that make sense for your situation or, or having that understanding of what you really, what company works with, you know, roofs that have that unique situation. So it really just comes back to like who you're working with, their expertise, their knowledge. Um, and even you yourself working up a quote online, it can give you a good idea of insurance, but it's never going to be. I always recommend reaching out to someone directly, um, you know, just to get more information on the quote that you worked up. Because again, it could potentially lead to cancellations after the fact because you, they didn't have all the information they needed to make a, a solid choice as far as rates. So. Right. So basically work with someone you trust and has lots of information. Okay, let's talk about cash transactions versus mortgage transactions because, you know, I know that a mortgage company is going to ask for, the underwriter is going to ask for a specific type of coverage to be in place or um, allotment or uh, value to be protected. But when it's cash, it's it's kind of free reign. The homeowner can decide what to do. But, I mean, what are you seeing? from a mortgage perspective, because that's a big chunk of our transactions. I mean, yes, we have a lot of cash in Texas and we're seeing a lot of that now, but let's talk about both. For sure. So your mortgage company is going to want to have the insurance checked off their box a few weeks in advance of closing just because there are requirements that they're going to place. Um, a lot of those are just making sure that their investment is protected. So having certain verbiage like 100% guaranteed replacement cost, or if you don't have that verbiage covering the dwelling to the loan amount, um, there are certain situations where we don't need to do that and we can show them our replacement cost estimator. But again, like the sooner we can kind of get over those little hills to make sure that you have all the the right verbiage and the right coverage um, to to satisfy the lender requirements, the better. Um, Just because it does have to go through to underwriting and there are debt-to-income ratios that play play a role in the insurance. So sometimes they'll say like, hey, our debt-to-income ratio is too tight. We only can have the insurance be at X amount. So again, knowing that upfront and getting this stuff to your mortgage company sooner than later so that way it can go through to underwriting and they can check off all their boxes and say, this makes sense for closing or we're fine with this deductible um, because they do have to check those boxes. So um, again, sooner the better, especially on a mortgage transaction. And even with cash, I'm seeing so many. I mean, in fact, this week I had a customer call me and say, hey, I'm buying a house and need to get insurance set up. And I say, okay, great. When's your tentative closing date? And they said, oh, well, we closed last week. It was a cash deal. We forgot to get insurance. And that happens. I can't tell you how many times I see that happen with cash transactions uh, just because they don't have someone like a lender saying, these are our requirements. You need to get insurance in place. It's one of those things that people typically forget about in the cash transaction, especially because it's a much 
shorter close window. Normally, cash closes a lot quicker than mortgage. But again, there's not someone saying you need to have XYZ in place before you can get the home. Um, And so again, it's one of those things that you just have to be super careful with because in the cash transaction, people just forget that they need to get it in place altogether. Um, And so, but the mortgage company, again, with that transaction, they're definitely like on top of it and, and ahead of it. And again, the sooner we can get that information to your mortgage company, the better. So that insurance isn't the reason why you're, you don't ever want insurance to be the reason why you're closing is delayed. And it normally comes down to, again, just making sure you have the right burbage or coverage or even just the total cost of the insurance isn't going to cause any issues as far as debt to income ratios are concerned. Now, you mentioned that you just had someone days after closing say, I need insurance. In that situation, does the homeowner get dinged for not having coverage in place the day they took possession from an insurance standpoint? Or they, it looks like it's lack of coverage. And does that play a factor into insurance companies' rates? It definitely can. So whenever, and this goes for auto insurance too, but on homeowner's insurance, it'll ask with any company, um, do you have current insurance in place or do you have prior insurance in, in place? So meaning, let's say you're living in a home currently, but you're buying a new house, it will typically the systems will give you like tenure for having prior insurance set up. Um, Now, sometimes with SIM carriers, you can say that this is a new home purchase, but insurance companies don't like to see that you've had a lapse in coverage, that you have no prior insurance. Those are all things that you can definitely get dinged for. So I don't ever recommend it to, I mean, you have no idea like what can happen in those couple of days. I mean, I had someone that just bought a house. I mean, they did buy it cash and they did get it set up, but they hadn't had the chance to move in yet. They're, you know, moving in from another state. Um, and sure enough, someone vandalized the home, you know, brick through the window kind of deal and, and vandalized it before they could even start moving in. And within a couple of days of them closing on a house, they're having to make a claim on it. So you never know weather-wise what's going to happen. Vandalism, when people see, unfortunately, when they see vacant homes for a couple of days, they can vandalize. So um, it's really just one of those things that you don't want to risk on, especially, I mean, this is a huge, huge, you know, financial asset of your that you want to protect. Or you're in a situation where, let's say, wintertime, we could have a freeze and a pipe burst and, you know, the home's not lived in, so it's not, you know, heated to the proper temperature or whatever. So there's many things that can happen. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, weather-related stuff. I just had a customer, realtor was showing the house and they said, hey, there's water coming through your your ceiling and your whole floor is wet. And she's like, I was just there. No, it's not. And they're like, no, I'm standing in your living room and it is. And, you know, it's one of the things of, of it being a vacant home, of course, they're trying to get renters into it. But, um, you know, weather-related things, if you're not, again, if you're out of state and you're getting ready to move into it, all those things can, can play a role. You're not living in the home yet. So you're not seeing weather-related events or, you know, potential, again, vandalism, things like that. So definitely. Okay. So I thought of one thing before we, I, we're going to go into flood insurance next, because I think that's a big topic in Texas. We, we have we have a lot of rain that happens sporadically. Um, but... For our homeowners that are going to turn to landlords or when you have a situation where you're living in the property, but it's going to be a vacant for some time period, maybe you're selling it and it's on the market and it's vacant. Should a homeowner call in to change coverage based on being a landlord, based on being it vacant and not living in it? Yeah. So 
some different situations there. I mean, if something's, you know, was a primary and turning into a rental, or even if it's just going to have rental exposure, let's say it's a primary house, but there's a guest house or maybe a garage apartment. I mean, those are all situations where you're going to want to let your insurance agent know um, and for how long it's vacant. So then that way they can make sure there's not exclusions or they're, you know, putting in notes in the system or again, even just changing the coverage uh, if the risk is completely changing. So, I mean, if you're going from a primary to a a long-term rental or short-term rental, that's definitely going to be a completely different insurance policy that you're going to want to change coverage for completely. So any situations where something's going to be vacant or leased back or, um, again, just changing the risk entirely from a primary to a rental, those are all going to be reasons why you want to let your insurance agent know because a lot of times it's a completely different policy that you need to put in place. Um, if it's builder's risk, like if you're doing rehab or remodel to the home and you need you know, some builder's risk during that period of time, or again, some companies can just add an additional endorsement saying that it's under construction, um, things like that, that again, like you definitely don't want to surprise your insurance company after the fact because most times it's just going to be a straight denial. Like you didn't tell us this. You didn't ch- tell us that the risk changed. There's no coverage in this situation versus, okay, you told us this was going to happen. We added this specific endorsement or we changed the policy entirely to make sure we are covering for these things. Um, it's it's almost always going to be a denial if it's not something that you were you know forthcoming with and, and didn't tell them about. Well, I bet there's a lot of people that don't know they can change, I mean, temporarily change their policy. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's definitely endorsements with different companies where you can add, um, you know, endorsements saying that this is undergoing renovation or um, it's undergoing construction or whatever that may look like. So definitely it's always just better to be forthcoming with the insurance company and potentially just have to change your policy type versus, again, just like risking it and saying, oh, well, we're only going to be renovating or remodeling or it's only going to be vacant for X amount of days. You just, it's not worth risking because, again, if you're not forthcoming, most times it's just going to be a straight up denial for not, you know, being forthcoming with the information. Okay, let's talk about flood insurance. I mean, I feel like this is a big beast. It's a constant conversation. It's a constant conversation nationally because, you know, it seems like every few years we're talking about flood insurance um, funding going away. And we hear that, you know, our lobbyists are saying, no, 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 we need it to continue to protect homeowners, which we do. Um, So we have that battle that we have. FEMA's constantly changing flood maps. Um, when I say constantly, there's ebbing and flowing flood maps um, that the redraw in, in Texas is happening now. Um, also, we have drought. Then we have years of heavy rain. We Texas, we have hurricanes. We have tornadoes. We, you know, we have our lakes and rivers that swell. Like, I mean, so, you know, we have all these issues where we have this massive thunderstorm that rains, you know, 24 inches and, you know, 24 hours. And so, you know, a couple of feet, you know, so we have those issues in Texas. We just have complexity. So when you as an insurance agent are looking at flood insurance, who is your authority? What is the, the governing body that you care about? Yeah. So FEMA is the authority on it. So, I mean, anytime, you know, we're looking at homeowners insurance, we're also looking at the risk of a flood, especially in Texas. Like you mentioned, there's just so many things that happen in Texas. I mean, again, all the rivers that run through. I mean, it's one of the amazing things that makes Texas so great is that we do have all these bodies of water that we can visit locally, um, that run in our backyards, that run in our neighborhoods. And, um, but it also can 
can definitely present a risk as far as homeowners insurance is concerned. But when it comes to assessing risk and looking at the risk and saying like, is my home in a flood zone? If it is, what zone is it in? FEMA is the authority on that. There's no other authority on that. When a lender um, or an insurance company is looking to say, is your home in a flood insurance? FEMA is who we're going to directly to, to look at the mapping um, and the determination of the flood zone. There's no other party that is going to give you that information accurately. So um, there are two different flood zones. There's what's called a 100-year and the 500-year. So what that means is in the last 100 years, this area has flooded, or the last 500 years, this area has flooded, correct? So it's kind of talking about like chance because I mean right the percentage of chance is going to flood in that that last yeah just mm-hmm. because unfortunately I mean even with like Houston right we've seen um, you know flooding that they said oh this is a, a five hundred year well you know this was a rare and it's like it's happened more and more so uh, and that's where again like the remapping kind of comes into play and they're saying okay like we really need to revisit these zonings because you know something that maybe used to be a 500 year floodplain is now um, be con- being more considered more risky but yes to speak to that like. Essentially, it's saying that is the chance of it flooding. So, and that's what it's supposed to mean is like a hundred year floodplain means there's supposed to be a 1% chance of it flooding in any given year. So, statistically speaking, in 30 years, it would have like roughly a 26% chance of flooding within that 30 year period. Um, And then, as far as the 500 year floodplain, again, like it just means that there's a 0.2% 0.2% chance of it flooding in any given year, um, but normally is more protected by flood control systems like levees or dams or better drainage systems that, you know, cause it to not have that 100-year floodplain mark. Um, but again, like to speak to the flood maps, they are changing. Um, a lot of what we're seeing too is just like new construction, right? And Austin, especially in, in surrounding areas, I mean, really in any major metroplex, right? Dallas, Houston, I mean, we're seeing growth at an unprecedented level um, because of all of these, you know, large companies moving here. Texas is the best, of course. Um, but uh, like I said, the new construction, even just, again, like changing weather patterns or better scientific data, um, you know, of course, they're working to also do better drainage in a lot of these areas that are, um, you know, considered more susceptible to flood. So again, like you may see some some help as far as like when they are rezoning and re mapping and something becomes considered a hundred year floodplain, like they're definitely going to put some eyes on that. Um, I know where my last house was, um, it was considered in a flood zone um, and they are working. I can see when I drive by it, they're putting in massive, massive drainage systems because of all the building that's happening in that area and the growth that's happening in that area. Um, It's something that may have not flooded before is flooding now because they don't have the proper drainage systems in place to like alleviate the rain when major rain happens because there's no more grass and areas like that to soak up the water. Like it's just like in the street. So, um, like I said, it's definitely a lot of like things to consider when looking at the flood zoning and the remapping and the changing just because of how unprecedented the level of growth, like we're seeing in Texas, it's changing things. But you bring me to what you just said, which is a great pivot because, you know, in the central Texas Austin area, in order for a neighborhood to be built, it needs to be permitted, right? The, the development needs to be permitted. And Austin is really good at making sure we have these, I call them drainage areas within a neighborhood. So we don't have that massive flooding. I mean, yes, there are some areas that have it, you know, maybe they were, they were built and developed before this, you know, massive um, requirement came into play and they were grandfathered, you know, but what we've seen, and I'm going to pick on Houston for a second because, you know, of course it's closer to the coast you have that hurricane come through. We can speak of Harvey. 
um, came in and sat on the, the the coastline of Texas and just sat and didn't really move. But, you know, what's happened with growth? And you talked about growth a second ago. Is you, We talked about growth where there's more concrete, there's less trees, there's less grass. And we're seeing neighborhoods be built into what we call the floodway, not a flood zone. It's where water would naturally go from a neighborhood that would leave one place and then trickle out to an aquifer or to a recharge zone or something. But, but now there's houses there. So there's more concrete and there's less grass to soak up that water. Um, so when you're out looking for properties, find out if you were buying, where you're buying. Was it a floodway at one point? Because it probably will flood because it was intended to flood. And so there's a lot of houses on that southwest quadrant that flooded extensively as a result. I say that because, you know, you know, it's it's If you're in Houston, a lot of times I just say, like, even just buy the minimum flood insurance coverage because, again, a lot of this mapping, even though they're really working, to, you know, it's a government body, you know, they're doing their best. They're trying. But um, at the same time, like, I don't know that the remapping is happening maybe as quickly or as efficiently as it should be. And so I think, again, like, a lot of people in Houston typically just will buy minimum coverage, even if it says, like, on your listing, like, never flooded before. It's like, and typically they put that on huge bull butters, like, never flooded, even during XYZ hurricane. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't mean anything for what maybe it is today. And like, again, just, you know, climate changing, weather patterns changing, the growth in the area changing, like, that doesn't necessarily mean it won't ever flood just because it hasn't in some of our really big hurricanes. So um, I think for those reasons, I mean, buying, like, even just minimal coverage just to make sure you're protected because you don't, what you don't want is to not have anything. And then the house flood, and then you're relying basically on like a government handout at that point with what they may have left to disperse. Um, and you don't, you don't want to be last in line with your handout. You know, absolutely not. No, no, so like no. I said, when you need the money, exactly. So let's talk about cost. Cause you mentioned, you know, buy a, a, a small plan, you know, plan, right? Let's dial it back. Flood insurance just changed, right? There was a there was a timeline where it just changed. It was much cheaper a few years ago, and there was a change that happened recently. So it's still affordable, but let's talk if you're not in a floodplain today and you want to get insurance. Yeah. So um, if you're not in a floodplain and you want to get insurance, you absolutely can. You can get it through FEMA or even um, there's a, a small market now for private flood insurance carriers. Um, you can definitely get it set up. I mean, a lot, even regulated, like FEMA regulated, like this home is in a flood zone. Um, in the past, you used to have to have an elevation certificate um, for a, even a home that's in a flood zone. You no longer need elevation certificates. We can get to that and I'll talk about how they can help. Um, but I would say average cost and it kind of, there's so many factors that come into play. I mean, someone will call me and be like, Hey, give me a rough idea on flood insurance. And it really is kind of its own beast. Like, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many 
things that go now into flood where in the past I could tell you like, hey, it's going to cost you somewhere between 170 and 550 bucks for a home that's not in a flood zone. Um, as of October, not of last year, but the year prior, they completely did away with preferred pricing, FEMA did. Um, and so it can really be all over the map. Uh, a lot of things that are taken into consideration is the age of the home, the design of the home. So meaning like one story or two story, they, you know, two story is typically more favorable because it means like half of your stuff could technically be like on that second story. Um, square footage. So how big the house is, like even just how much coverage or deductibles you're purchasing. So with FEMA, the max amount of coverage you can purchase is 250,000 on the dwelling with a lot of the private flood carriers, you can actually get much more coverage above and beyond that. And they cover for a lot of things that FEMA wouldn't even cover for. Um, so they'll cover for even like pool repair, um, replacement costs on personal property, other structures. So if you have like a guest home or a, a shed or, um, any other structure, like barn on the property, um, they'll cover loss of use. So if you're out of your home due to a house flooding. So it's really, I always tell people like I'll check both pricing, both private flood market and FEMA market um, to price out the home. But whether you're in a flood zone or not, again, the pricing can really be all over the map. I generally say that flood insurance is going to cost somewhere between $100 to $150 a month. Um, again, depending on the amount of coverage or the deductibles you choose, or again, all the extras that you want to add on. Um, but again, that's why you want to work with a, an experienced seasoned agent that knows what they're doing. Uh, because FEMA is going to be the same cost, whether you call me or you call any company, like FEMA's rates are set. As long as we're putting in the same information, your rates are going to be the same. Private flood carriers are all unique and, and can be have varying rates. Um, but like I said, as far as like the general cost, I would say like 100 to 150 a month. Um, but it can really, really vary just to, again, depending on, um, you know, the amount of coverage and, and deductibles and size of house, things like that. One last question because I have one more topic here, but a lot of people think if your property lines in a flood zone, you have to have insurance. And that's not true. It's if your structure. It's you're correct. It's just if your structure. So any part of the home, if it lies within the floodplain, makes that home now in a flood zone. If just the property is in a flood zone, it doesn't mean that your home is. So it's really important, again, um, just one of those things we say, like, look at things early, um, especially if you're building a property. And so a lot of times, especially if you're working with like a builder or developer or whoever it may be, knowing like this is exactly like our property line, this is where the flood plain is within um, our property line and working with them to make absolute sure that no part of that structure is going to lie within the floodplain, if avoidable. I mean, it, it may be completely unavoidable for where you're trying to build the house. But in most situations, when you see something like that, maybe a little sliver of the back of the property is in a flood zone and it's completely avoidable. Um, you know, if you're working with a, a contractor and an elevation, you have, you know, someone come out and survey the property and our boots on the ground and saying this is exactly where the floodplain uh, lies within your property. So it's super important. Um, if you are building and you know that there's information as far as the property being in a flood zone, because you can work with a developer and a builder and, you know, again, like have them working directly with the surveyor to say like, this is exactly where you should build the house just to make sure that you're minimizing your risk as much as possible and not putting your home, even again, like if you have an awning or anything that lies within that, it's going to create and make the entire home. Um, and I said, I would speak to flood starts out really quickly, just hit on, they, can be purchased. So again, in the past, it was a requirement to have a flood elevation certificate if your home was in a flood zone. So in order for me to run a flood insurance quote, I would have to have that elevation certificate. I no longer need that if your home is in a in a flood zone, but I personally think it's really important to have one because it's essentially just telling us where the lowest adjacent floor is compared to like 
what they consider base flood elevation. So their estimated height of where flood water would reach at your home. And so if without it, I'm basically just saying, hey, you're in flood zone AE. I don't know how risky this is. So we're rating you with like the worst possible rate. Like, I don't know where your house is within this floodplain. We're just saying you're in one. So like, here's your rate based off of that. Here's the worst rate. Yeah, Yeah. here's the worst possible rate because I don't know your risk. Whereas like having an elevation certificate is going to tell me exactly where your home is. It can't ever hurt your rate. And so that's why some people are scared of like, well, what if I get it done? And then it tells you that my house is in the worst spot. It's like, well, that I'm already rating you that way. So I can't get worse an elevation an elevation certificate can't make your rate worse. It can only help. Um, And so if you're already getting a survey of the property, then just go ahead and tack it on because it's only a couple hundred extra to add if they're already doing the property survey. And if the home is in a flood zone already, most times the seller is already going to have one because it was a requirement of theirs. The only time they typically don't is like if they didn't have a mortgage on their property um, and they never got one, they just got the flood insurance. And I will say too, really quickly, if the current owners have flood insurance on their home and they're getting preferred rates. You can grandfather that policy over. All you have to do, it's a one-page form that you sign. They transfer it over to you and then you're getting the preferred rates because like I mentioned, um, you know, a little over a year ago, they, we stopped offering preferred rates. So if they're getting a better rate than what, you know, an insurance agent could offer you today, ask those sellers. I mean, the sellers want to sell their house. So ask those sellers for their flood insurance to be transferred uh, and you can get their preferred ratings that they were, you know, qualifying for prior. So it sounds like buyers need to start asking, do you have a flood certificate? And do you, a survey a survey with this flood certificate? And do you have a current flood policy? Correct. Yeah, and when was that policy issued? Because if it was issued before the change, then it's probably a different weight. Yeah. And even too, if they're unwilling for whatever reason, if they're unwilling to transfer it, if I have the policy number and I put that into the FEMA system, they'll recognize that the current owners have flood insurance and have had it. So they'll give you somewhat of a preferred rate. It's not going to be the exact rate, but it's still going to give you a discount and more of a preferred rate than if you had just called me today and got it out of the blue. Um, So yeah, always ask the current sellers if they have an elevation certificate already uh, and if they have flood insurance and if so, to provide that information. um, Because again, and most times that rate's going to be better than what you could get today. And you can grandfather that over. So the last thing, I left it for last because um, it's come up a few times. And there are several third-party services. One is called Flood Factor or My Flood Rate or you yeah. know, whatever name it is. And it seems like that these um, third-party services are plugged into real estate websites or to search sites and they come up with, they assess a risk to the property. It seems like they're pulling from several different areas. And what is your thought process on this? Yeah, my personal opinion is like, I would really not give a lot of substance to them at all. Like I would really just like I personally just, I looked at my last home that wasn't a flood zone and I pulled it up and I think it was called Flood Factor and it was on like realtor.com. They kind of put it at the bottom. Um, And I looked at it and it said that my risk for my last home that was in a flood zone was a score of a one, meaning like not risky, like lowest possible, like 
when the house has flooded twice in its in its history in its past. I mean, it was built in the in the sixties, um, but again, it's it's something that should never be rated a one. Like it's a it's in a, an area where like there's so much growth and there's definitely a, a risk for flooding and it requires flood insurance. Um, and then I've seen homes that are not in a flood zone at all and they like well, are giving it moderate ratings. You know, moderate rate risks of saying it needs it. And I try to do more digging just to like truly understand where they're coming up with the information. And it a lot of it almost seems like they're pulling the information from like the county and the county risk, which like, as you know, if you're like in Hayes County, if you're in Williamson, if you're in Travis, like there's bodies of water that are running through these counties. Like there's no mistaking that. Um, But at the same time, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that home has like a ton of risk just for being in an area that potentially has like waterways like going um, in the county itself. So I wouldn't give it a lot of credence. I really, um, that's why you just need to to check with your insurance agent because it's, they're going to be the authority and tell you what the actual risk on a home is. Like it's, you know, risk rating or risk factor or risk score that it's trying to to give. I think it's more of a, in my opinion, a money grab. I mean, you go to these sites and they're immediately asking for your email and and to upgrade the services. And so again, at the end of the day, like FEMA is the authority. Use your insurance agent and their knowledge to give you more information on the actual risk of the home and not trusting a third party that's kind of, in my opinion, just running risks based on like overall counties and not like the specific risk of your home. So... Let's talk about wind insurance. Wind insurance is something that every homeowner needs to have if you live in a county that aligns the coast of Texas because of hurricanes. So let's loosely touch on this because it's mainly for someone who wants to live at the coast or buy a rental property at the coast, which most of our clients find out. They're like, oh, let's buy a beach property. And then they realize, oh, there's a mortgage involved. There's flood insurance. There's wind insurance. And there's an HOA. Okay, we're out. We're going to invest somewhere else. So talk about wind insurance because it's fairly pricey. It is. I mean, it's similar to flood as far as like, it's completely controlled and regulated pricing wise by the government. So again, like the pricing, whether you get a a quote from me or you get a quote from another company, the prices for TWIA, uh, which is the wind tail hurricane portion are going to be completely set. Um, So it can be overwhelming to just hear that you need a TWIA policy when you've never dealt with it before. It can seem a little alarming. That being said, your home insurance is typically a lot less expensive because they're excluding the wind hail hurricane portion. So your home insurance portion will be a lot less. It's just typically you're going to see, and I normally on average see rates between like 2000 to 2500 I would say, is probably the average for a TWIA policy on an annual basis. I mean, there's definitely outliers where it can be less or more. Um, but generally speaking, I would say that TWIA generally is costing about 2000 to you know 2500 for the year. It's really only going to be required on coastal properties. Um, like, what, again, like you mentioned, like, oh, let's go buy like a dream, you know, house out in Galveston. It'll be fun. Like, we'll rent it out on Airbnb when we're not using it. Um, and then we'll have this amazing vacation rental to go to when we want to out on the coast. Um, but it's definitely something that you need to factor in because some of those also will factor in flood insurance. So it just, again, really depends. But um, most times they are going to like definitely be required on the coast just because most carriers are going to exclude that portion from your insurance. So, again, 
again, you'll have your homeowner's insurance, uh, but it excludes the windhill hurricane portion. You'll have your TWIA policy that includes the windhill hurricane portion and then potentially flood insurance. It kind of just depends on the area um, and, you know, where the house lies. But um, for the most part, like I said, it's a, if you're looking at the coast at all, like it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Mo- most people who live in a county that lines a coast have all three, generally have all three. Yes. I mean, it's rare that they don't have all three. And if they have two, they exclude flood. That's the exclusion generally. Right. Yeah. I mean, no policy is automatically going to cover for flood insurance. Um, Just we don't offer it. So again, if it needs flood insurance, it's going to be a separate policy for that. So like I said, most times if you're on the coast, you're going to have to have all three. It can generally be pricey. I mean, I know you can get some good Airbnb rates out there, but it is just something that you're going to want to factor in if you're looking at overall, like, is this a good investment or not? Like, it's just one of those things you're going to need to price out and make sure. So. Okay. So lastly, I want to talk about, there's an array of companies. There's agents who work for exclusively for um, like an Allstate or State Farm or Farmers. They only write independently through those companies. They don't write through anybody else. There's um, uh, companies like Liberty Mutual where you can write for your company, and but you can you know shop out various companies. There's a broker. There's going direct. I mean, talk to me about those. Like, why would someone work with one versus the other. Yeah. So there's a lot of different avenues these days of, you know, going insurance. I mean, even like I see, you see like an app, like where you can like literally like get an app and get insurance. So there's so many different avenues and they all have like their pros and cons. And and it really just is kind of like on what makes the most sense for you as a consumer. Um, like you mentioned, someone that works exclusively for one carrier that's captive for just that company is going to generally be again, like an all state, a state farm or farmers uh, where they're just only right for that carrier. And I mean, typically when they're competitive on both like auto and home, you can get really great rates. And generally because they have really, really competitive um, rates, like the multi-line discount is really weighs really heavily typically with them. So like if you're getting a quote and like the home is really good and the auto may be high, then your home's going to, you know, if it doesn't make sense to bundle, then sometimes you're going to see some really higher rates on like just the one product because you're not bundling. Um, The one thing that is also really good about them though, is that they are typically local agents. So they typically have like in-house service and in-house, um, you know, assistance. So if you were to need to change a car or if you needed to, um, you know, add a driver or whatever it is, you're typically calling the local office with, with those carriers. Um, so that can be beneficial because people really like that, that local touch and that local service, um, to be able to call one office and say, this is what needs to get done. Um, but again, they also just don't have a lot of ability to tailor fit certain products. Like if their product isn't the right fit for you, then you really don't have any other options with them. Um, and then you also have like a traditional broker, right? So like a broker is just someone that, um, can write through a ton of different companies. They don't work captively for any one carrier. It's just like whoever is the competitive option or maybe the best like coverage option for the client. That's who they're going to write it through, which is great. It's great to have so many options, um, you know, to where again, you can kind of get tailor fit through one carrier because it makes sense because of XYZ needs and have a, you know, home carrier that makes sense because of these needs that you have. Um, but I do sometimes see with brokers, you can have like brokerage fees. So if you are working with a broker, that's just something to ask up front. It's not a bad 
thing necessarily. It's just saying like, hey, I just want to have an expectation of like what my fees are going to be up front before purchasing a policy. And that's how they get compensated. Yeah, that's how they get compensated. You know, they're they're making a commission off the policies and they're also typically when they're charging those broker fees, you know, they're, that's an additional compensation for them. Um, and, you know, again, just having a lot of options is, is a big benefit. Um, but it depends on the broker. So not all brokers work this way, but some do and some don't pay for in-house service. So if they're not paying for in-house service, that's just another thing to ask your broker when you're working with them. Um, do you have in-house service or am I expected to service through the company I'm working for? So if they write you through, let's say Progressive, um, and they're not paying for in-house service, if you need to make a change or add a driver or whatever that may be, then they're going to say, hey, I don't have an in-house service, you're going to have to call Progressive. If any changes um, or drivers, anything like that, you're going to have to call that company directly. So again, just something to ask them up front. Um, you also have like going direct, which is going to be like your Geico's and your USAA's and Progressive where you're just going online or working with a call center. Um, the one thing I'm just weary of in that situation is just that, again, you can be working with someone that's been there a day or working with someone that's been there for 10 years. And so it's just really making sure that once you've gotten the quote back, you're really reviewing and making sure that you understand the coverages and what they provided you. Because a lot of times you can get some really good rates going direct, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that translates to like adequate coverage. I, I don't feel like questions are maybe asked as properly in that channel um, as, as or as thoroughly maybe as they Sounds they like could a luck of the draw. Yeah, like you could, you could be, like I said, you could get a great agent and you, but you could also get someone that's been there a week and they're also licensed typically in 50 plus states. So they don't typically know your area. I mean, they could be in Texas when you call. I mean, it's, it's possible, but most times they're licensed in all 50 states. So you could get someone that just doesn't know the area and doesn't know the proper questions to ask. Um, and then you have someone like me, Liberty's kind of unique in the way that they run their channel. So we have access in our captive for Liberty Mutual, but the amazing thing is that we also have access to a ton of, of other carriers that we can broker out through. I have access to over 20 plus companies. Um, so if let's just say like Liberty Mutual homeowners insurance makes the most sense for their given situation, but the auto may be too high, then maybe progressive is the best fit. And then they're getting multi-policy discounts because I'm the underwriting agent on it. So they're not losing any um, any discounts as far as the multi-line discounts concerned. They're getting policies that make the most sense for their specific situation. We're not charging broker fees when they're using our other products, but I just think it's a really unique and amazing channel. I mean, of course, I'm a little biased, but um, you know, I, I do think it's just a really awesome situation for each because I'm able to place the customer where they need to be placed. And I'm not like held to the mercy of one company's standard and say, this is what you get. This is what I have. If you wanted coverage for your, you know, unlimited firearm coverage, like I don't have it, but like you should compromise because I have this great rate. Like you're not compromising. Um, but it also, I mean, it can come down again to experience. I mean, you could also, again, like still get someone with the company that's, that hasn't been there. So I think just knowing who you're working with, asking the right questions, um, just, you know, again, making sure that they're understanding your unique situation and you're having that open dialogue with your customer about, you know, what their, what their needs are and, and what they may have. So those are just the, the kind of different channels, how they can benefit you and, and maybe some questions that you're making sure that you ask. Um, when you talk to them. So lastly, talk to um, our consumer and our listeners. What benefits do they get when they work with you? I mean, because like you, you just talked, I mean, there's 
different th- bells and whistles of different companies and different people. So yeah, so I mean, kind of to toot my own horn, um, I I do have a team. Um, so it's not just me in the office. I do have a team that that works with me, um, and we're one of us is always going to be in the office. There's never a time where you're going to have you know someone that can't answer your call. Um, I've also been doing this over ten years, so I've seen everything. I mean, I'm I'm native to Central Texas, but I've also been really just doing this over ten years, and and I think I understand like what each unique customer presents and I make sure to ask those questions so I'm not leaving anything on the table or not properly covering someone. I'm always the first person that's going to tell you if you're getting a good rate, but like maybe you need to change your deductible or maybe you need to ask if they have XYZ coverage if I'm not the right fit. Or again, if you're getting a great rate, I'm the first person to tell you that. Um, And, you know, I on my signature of all my emails and including my team, they have their cell phone numbers, my cell phone number, um, my office cell, my personal cell, my office line. I mean, there's really not a way that you can't reach our team. And I think us being so available to where you can text us and ask those one-off questions or concerns or, you know, do I need to do this? Or um, even on the weekends, like I said, we really try to make ourselves available to our consumer because we understand like how important of a purchase, um, you know, insurances for your home, for your auto, you get into an accident or water's coming out of your ceiling and you have no idea it's Saturday at 9 a.m. and you're like, what do I do? What are my steps? And so I think having someone that's available um, to you at all times and again, just like kind of has that knowledge and experience to, to know what to ask and when to say like, hey, I may not be the right fit for you right now, but revi- let's revisit this. Or, um, you know, again, just kind of have something that's in your corner that's advocating for you and and not just trying to like make a sale. I think I'm, our team is really big on like not just trying to make a sale, but like make sure that customer understands their coverage and and has the, you know, what they need in, in order to protect their assets. So. Well, this has been a lot of information yeah. to unpack. And I feel like we've, we've really haven't even pulled back a weed, like a, like a, called onion you know we've been pulled back one of the little branches of the onion and because it's insurance is so complex but you know I know when we get through um you know into the to the weeds of a transaction you know we can ping Shelby at a later time and bring her back into the fold thank you Shelby for joining us today thank you for all your time I appreciate all your information thank you so much for having me like I said I know that insurance isn't like one of those super like exciting topics, but it's also one of the most important because again, like you're protecting some of your largest financial assets. You want to make sure they're covered properly and you have a a good understanding and good bearing of, of what you, what you're buying. So thank you so much again, and would be happy, happy to come back and answer any, um, any additional topics that, that we can. I, I, I love this stuff. I know it's so nerdy, (laughs) but I I do. I love it. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in to our next episode. We will be talking to the chief appraiser from the Travis County Appraisal District and talking about a very hot topic of property taxes. 